the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Finding out you have cancer can be devastating. Feelings of depression, anxiety, and fear are common. Today's guest, Mary Battaglia, was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. For years, Mary has helped her clients navigate their health challenges. Now, she faces one of her own. Mary is a certified hypnosis practitioner, founder of Metro Hypnosis Center, and author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Mary, you and I have been friends for some time, and I'm really happy that you're coming on the show today to share this journey that you were forced to embark on. But I remember the day that you called and told me you had leukemia. And for me, that was a scary day because, as you know, I have a brother who passed away from leukemia. So I come from a particular frame of reference whenever I hear that word. But let's talk about you and your story, because it is really a story of hope. So what led to the diagnosis, and was it something you were suspecting? Well, I needed to get my checkup, my annual physical checkup. I hadn't done it in about two years. Um, with COVID, I, you know, I think a lot of us had put off some of our health care uh, needs. And I've also had a, um, a mom who was, had been sick and who had passed last year. So my time of dealing with that and cleaning up the house didn't give me time to do some self-care of going to the doctor. So the end of that year, I made my appointment and I wasn't feeling um, myself. Uh, I was noticing a lot of bruising, but I was cleaning up my mother's house and was moving a lot of things. So there was a reason for that. I was feeling really tired, but I was going through grief and I was thinking that's probably part of it. It was a long year for me. And um, I was noticing some shortness of breath. I just thought, well, maybe I'm just out of, out of shape. So I went for my physical, explained my uh, issues, um, and my stomach was starting to feel a lot, very uncomfortable at that point. I was feeling very tight. Um, my stomach felt very bloated. So I was mentioning all that. She took my blood work. Um, she, you know, gave me my exam. And then a few days later, when my blood work came back, she called me and told me that um, I had a high white blood count and she said she thought I needed to go to um, a hematologist and then she also told me that I was anemic, that um, my liver functions were affected in the blood work and she um, talked about um, the shortness of breath being from the anemic and that the bruising was all symptoms of leukemia. So she said she wanted me to go to that doctor and then I said, well, how high is my white blood count? And just to give you a range, Joan, it's four to 10,000 is the um, range that you know most people's blood uh, work, the white blood count would show up. Mine was 90,000 and that really impacted me. She told me that with so many other things. I was like, okay, but when she told me how high the white blood count, I was like, wow, that's pretty high. Um, I went, uh, so she then she told me that I needed to go to the hematologist, so I called, um, and it's really, you just don't get an appointment right over overnight, so um, it took a week for me to get into the 
doctor's office, the hematologist's office. And in the meantime, what do you do? You Google and you research everything. Um, and by the time I went for the first doctor's appointment, looking at all the symptoms of leukemia, it, it really did um, look like that. You know, my spleen was really enlarged and things like that. So um, I kind of knew going to the doctors that that was going to probably be the diagnosis. Everything you were experiencing, and, and I remember you telling me all of these symptoms of the various things you were feeling, and, and we were very easily explaining them away, as you said. So when the doctor used the word possible leukemia and you did your homework and leukemia started showing up and you started to think, you know, I, I may really have this, what were you feeling at that time? It was felt like to me that someone sideswiped me and I was on the shoulder of the highway because I wasn't driving on the same road anymore. I was, um, it, it was shock and not that cancer was shock in general, but um, I've, um, I've had a lot of uh, family members, you know, my dad passed away, lung cancer, my sister passed away, breast cancer. So I've been caretaker and um, I kind of understood that type of cancer, but a blood cancer is different because when you have that, it's going throughout the whole body. So it's all going through your bloodstream. So I was confused. I, I have to say I was confused. Um, I was shocked. Um, and it took me a day or two uh, to kind of really start thinking that this was a possibility. Because I think we normally push those things away mentally. I think we want to just reject these things. So it took me, I'd say, like two days to realize that and let it sink in because it does need to sink in because it is a shock. And I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to um, talk about it to anyone. I wanted to understand. I wanted to get it more of a diagnosis. But I felt such sadness. I'm not someone who is afraid of dying. So fear of dying is not something that was driving me. There was, there was a sadness. And I think there's a, a grief that we're feeling. And as um, I was getting closer to the doctor's appointment, the sadness was coming in like a wave of grief. And I would be, it would well up in me and it would be this amazing amount of sadness of going to tears. It's like really deep crying. And I, it really shocked me, you know, because I am someone who feels that I'm in control and I do hypnosis. And, I, and let me tell you, if I didn't have my tools, Joan, to get through this time of relaxation, of clearing my mind, of dealing with the sadness and bringing in healing. I took charge. Once I accepted that this could be the diagnosis, I started working on myself. I went and created a script already for myself of healing. So I felt that really helped me take charge and it made me feel like I was empowered to do something. And that was really important to me. So Mary, you went to the hematologist and what did the doctor say to you? So I went to the hematologist and they couldn't give me an actual diagnosis that day. They needed to do more blood work. Um, but again, it was all pointing towards that. And my blood work was, uh, my white blood count was 90,000. Originally it went up just less than two weeks. It went up to 130,000. So you know, that was not a good thing that it would keep going up. And I was trying to, I'm a holistic practitioner, and that's kind of how I like to approach my life. So I was trying to explain to them my approach to life um, and how I wanted a team uh, because I am a holistic person. And they told me that I was going to have to start a chemo drug right then and there, and, you know, an oral one. And I told them, I don't know if I can do chemo. As um, someone, as a caregiver who's watched the process of cancer, um, I didn't realize I was still traumatized for, from some of that. So I told them that I would pick it up, but I wasn't sure I was going to take it. And get this, I'm, I'm going to start a chemo pill. I don't have a straight diagnosis. That's a little nerve-wracking to do that. Understanding that the, the white blood counts was going up, we had to do something to to help me but I wasn't ready to accept that and I wouldn't have taken the pill 
without being able to accept it and have it help me the way I think it didn't help me. So I picked up the medication and um, I was really in shock. I think it really shocked me that the chemo and, and like it was happening so quick. Then um, I, a labyrinth um, is something that I walk a labyrinth. Um, there's a place that near me that has one. It's kind of like a maze and you just kind of walk on the path. It's a very direct path, uh, but there's an exit and everything. And it's, I find it very peaceful. So I immediately drove up there to calm myself down. Um, and mind you, all of the time of going into the doctor's office, I was doing my self-hypnosis. I was keeping myself calm and relaxed as much as I could. But once I had the medicine, so I walked the labyrinth to calm myself down. And it kind of gave me a little plan for me to do. Um, so I, I have a very good friend that's a nurse practitioner. I hadn't told her. I had one friend that found out that I was um, looking that this was happening to me because she kept saying, you don't sound yourself. And, and then it just came out. But I didn't want to burden people. You know, you kind of feel like you're burdening people with, with this information. And so I had to go to my friend because I needed a little counsel at that point. I needed some medical counsel. And I'm lucky that I had uh, have someone that I can do that with. And, you know, she said, well, what's your diagnosis? This is, we don't know yet. So, um, so I decided not to start taking that medicine that day. Um, my friend who's a nurse practitioner is also a Reiki practitioner. And she did a little Reiki, which is just really energy work um, to help release some of the, probably all the chaotic energy I was feeling at that point. So it really calmed me down, and it really gave me such great peace. And I, I, what's really important when we're on a journey of cancer, any health thing, is that we find things that can help us be calm and handle what's coming our way. I remember, Mary, once you did get the final diagnosis, I happened to be at your house the day the the final medication arrived, what they decided to put you on, and you can share that with us in a moment what they decided to put you on for the long haul for your for your treatment and would you share what we all did because i had never experienced anything like that when you had the medication sent to your home you had um you you conducted this little ritual with this very small group of us and would you share what that was and why that was so important so um just a little preface to um getting there so i had to work on myself with accepting the medicine because, again, I'm someone who does not want to take medicine if <laughs> she doesn't have to. And chemo to me, the word chemo just uh, pill just kind of put on that higher alert. So I actually did, through my hypnotherapy work, I did a lot of work on myself to get to the point where I was accepting and I, that I could look at the medicine as something that was going to help me. This is something I've done with people um, you know, many clients, you know, with chemo or with any type of medicine, um, I've done different type of sessions with welcoming the medicine. So I had done that for myself, but what um, you're referring to is when you were at my house with some friends, that, that was the day the medicine came, and I had, in my mind, accepted that this is what I had to do to get better because I had looked at all other options, and there really wasn't too many options at that point. And... Um, I found another doctor um, that I really liked, and I felt really comfortable with the decision of which medicine we were um, chose to target um, my chronic myeloid leukemia. So what I did is um, I had the, the medicine bottle out, and I did my own little ceremony, if you want to call that, a blessing is what I kind of call it. And so I blessed it, and um, in my mind, this was like a golden pill. This was part of my healing. And that's how I looked at it. And then everyone who was there did their own blessing of the medicine for me and towards me. It was like, it was just so beautiful. I don't, I don't know how else to explain that, Joan. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you? It was. And, you know, it has really stuck with me because I, I think what you're talking about, the welcoming of the medication, no matter what it may be, we're talking about chemo here, but it could be any type of medication. Because the first thing we normally do is we look up the side effects and we look up all the things that can possibly happen to us. And then we become afraid of the medication. And I think on, on some level that hinders the effectiveness. I remember a number of years back, I did an interview with Dr. Bruce Lipton. 
and he talked about the nocebo effect, and he shared a study that was done on cancer patients. One group in the study received chemotherapy medication. The other group received an IV of saline solution. The group that received the saline did not receive one drop of chemotherapy medication, but had all of these preconceived notions in their minds about what chemo would do. The group that never received the medication exhibited chemotherapy side effects, nausea, hair loss, and the list goes on. So the fact that you're teaching all of us to welcome, to bless, to accept the healing medication into our bodies... I think we're then adding to the effectiveness because, yes, the medication has a role, but I think we really have a big role in our own healing. Oh, 100%. We do have a big role in our healing. And even to this day, when I take my medicine, I take it once a day, um, I express gratitude. I thank it for coming into my body and, and helping me heal. And then I ask it to take out the toxins right away, right? So the mindset is very important. So taking the medicine is now I'm open and ready to receive its healing instead of being resistant to it. And anyone, even if you're in doing an IV infusion, and it doesn't have to be chemo, it could be any medicine you're doing, um, If even if you're in a place with an IV, you can, in your mind, send a positive thought. It doesn't have to be a prayer or a blessing. It could be a positive thought. It could be something as simple as just you saying it in your mind, or you could ask the staff, if, if you could hold it, I don't know, sometimes you can't, might not be able to hold something with the medicine in it, but if you could just maybe just send those thoughts right before you're going to get the um, IV or the infusion, just, you know, take a moment to ask them, take a moment to get yourself set up for it so that you can set yourself up for receiving healing. And if you look at it that way, it can really make quite a difference in your healing process because now you're putting that thought that I'm open for healing instead of the fear. And I remember when my sister first um, got IV chemo, and unfortunately I didn't have all this knowledge, I, I just remember how scared and petrified we were because it's a scary time and we don't know how to navigate these things. So if we all kind of put a little more positive spin, and it doesn't matter, it could be a diabetic medicine or blood pressure medicine, it could be any medicine that you're doing that with. If we look at it that it's supporting us and helping us, then negative that I don't want to take it really can make a big difference. Mary, was there ever a time when you identified as being a leukemia patient? Because when we when we take on that role of the sick person, we begin to live our life as a sick person. So did that happen to you? And if it did, how did you combat it? Well, I tried to say and speak about it as a diagnosis. I, I tried not to own it. I find that by saying I have cancer, I have leukemia, I'm starting to own it and like have it become part of me. It didn't, I don't want leukemia to be more than part of me that it is already. <laughs> so re- referencing it to that is a really important thing for me at least and how I approach it. I kind of see myself, this is how I see myself, is driving in a car and it's in the side view mirror. I don't want it to be ahead of me. I want it to be on the side because it is, it is something I'm dealing with. I can't you know, not to have it part of my life, it's there. But it's in the side view mirror so that it's in the background, it's not taking over my life. And I think, unfortunately, when we have illnesses and diagnoses, we kind of let it take over our lives. Now, I had a lot of fatigue. I had a lot of tiredness. I couldn't keep up a normal schedule at that time for a few months. Um, And I was probably a little flat. And there's a little sadness that goes with it and probably a little depression at times. But having tools, like I have tools for hypnosis, um, I would actually, besides my own recording, I would actually visualize every day, like almost like a hand coming into my bone marrow, because that's where the white cells are being, the bad ones are being produced in my bone marrow, which is sort of lower back. And um, I would imagine like a hand coming in and scooping out the bad cells. And I have to say, as I got closer and closer and I was seeing more progress when I would go to my doctor's visit, I was seeing in my visualization that there wasn't even that much left. And the last um, time I went to the doctors, I had less than 1% being produced in my body, which is a really big deal. Um, it's about six months. And we went from I went from 50% in my body when I got diagnosed to now I have less than 1%. And I feel much better. My energy is there. I still take the medicine. But to me, it's tolerable. 
and that's you know again we can um, create a mindset to help support and tolerate what we're experiencing. How much of a role, Mary, do you believe you've had in your healing? You know, Joan, I used to think that healing was all up to me before, um, before I was diagnosed, you know, um, and it is important. My role in my healing is extremely important. My mindset, my approach to life is extremely important. But what I've realized is the support I have around me and the love around me has been invaluable. I um, am so lucky as a holistic pr- practitioner to have people doing Reiki and magnified healing. Uh, I do acupuncture. My uh, I get the acupuncture done uh, to help with my stomach um, tightness. And um, I have friends that are medical intuitive. So I, I just brought everyone in that could support me. So my outlook and my approach is extremely important. But the team I've created, including my, my doctor and the medicine I'm taking, so it's a team effort to me. I used to think it was all on, on the person healing before. And um, though there's a lot of important roles I have to my healing, and I am so empowered with the work of hypnosis, and, and you know, I've seen myself and see how people can change your mindsets with illnesses and things like that. So I knew all that was possible. I knew that I could approach this in a better way, but we still get depression, sadness, we still feel uncomfortable, we still feel that, but you can approach it and deal with it in in a manageable way. So it's really important not to isolate yourself. That's a really good point, and I I think um, that isolation, it's like, like I hated to tell someone what was going on. I I know, I I remember I was so angry at you because you didn't tell me at first. Yes, no, and I, I... I really, um, because I know as a caregiver, I know someone who's been on the other side as a caregiver, how that affects them. And I I felt everyone's shock when I told them this. And it was was emotional for me to have to tell people and go through it. And um, especially, I had to tell my sister. I, I wouldn't tell my sister until I knew what kind it was. Once I knew it was chronic, I felt better telling her that because chronic has um, a lot of uh, positive chronic leukemia has a lot of positive things to it so at least I felt um, better telling her this news than when I didn't know it and we we you know we went from the family five ten years ago to down to just the two of us and just losing my mom in the last year and both of us were very important caregivers to her I didn't want us to go through another caregiving role. It, it just, I just didn't want that. I was, I was upset about that. I was never angry about the diagnosis, but I was upset at how it affects other people. And um, I'm sure a lot of people feel that. I didn't want to have to worry about someone taking care of me. So we need to welcome that people love us and want to help us. And luckily, I was always able to be active enough and take care of myself in my home but having people come in and bring a meal here and there or bring supplies and, you know, was very, very helpful. But it's the love. It's the love I've received from so many of my really dear friends. And Mary, very quickly, before we run out of time, what do you want to say to someone who is newly diagnosed? I want to tell you to take a deep breath. I want to tell you that you can get through it. I want to tell you that you are strong enough to do it. And I want to tell you to let people help you because you are worthy and deserve of healing and getting better. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. I know how difficult this is for you. You're a very private person. And for you to come on the show in such a public way, it really means a lot to me. But I I know it's going to mean a lot to so many people who are struggling with whatever challenges they may be facing. And I've witnessed where you've been in this journey over the past months. And I, I think that everything you teach and everything you practice, it's making the world of difference in your healing. And I know it will in the lives of so many people. So I am honored and I'm so happy that you're here to share this with us and that you've chosen me to make this announcement. It it really means a lot to me and I know it means a lot to our audience. Yes, and and thank you, Joan, for having me, for allowing me this platform to share because someone out there that's listening today is newly diagnosed or might be in the middle of it. 
If our listeners would like to get more information about Mary and her work, or if you'd like to get a copy of her book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power, you can visit MetroHypnosisCenter.com. Mary, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss the three P's of internal stress. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. It's always so great to be here. Linda, we are all so stressed out and anxious. What happens in the body when we don't address our emotions? Well, when we don't address our emotions, what happens is all of the unresolved emotions and issues land in our tissues, right? We just become this ball of stress and anxiety. I hear you say that all the time, and it is probably one of my most favorite sayings that your issues land in your tissues because it is so descriptive of what occurs in our bodies. It is. It truly is. So you speak about the three P's of internal stress. What are the three P's? So I think the three P's that create internal stress, and and let me just start by saying what I mean by internal stress. So external stress is all the stuff, like the stuff we see on the news, the stuff that's happening that's distressing us. Maybe we have a difficult work environment with a narcissistic boss. That's all external stress. But internal stress is usually created very unintentionally, but it's the stress we create ourselves by our thoughts, our beliefs, our old patterns and actions. And those three P's of internal stress are perfecting, pleasing, and proving. And what I mean by that is we try to do everything perfectly. Why? So we won't be judged. We try to please everyone. Why? So they'll like us. And we try to prove our worth and value constantly by working hard and often by overgiving. And what happens? These three P's all boil down to what I call one really big soul-sucking belief. I'm not good enough. That's where we land with all of this. And without fail, that's the belief that keeps us in a constant state of stress and struggle within our bodies and within our minds. And the thing about the three P's, those are things that we can control while the external things may be outside of our control. We can always control the internal stress factors. Exactly. Yep. And we can do that. Well, first step is awareness, right? We have to be aware that this is going on. And then sometimes it takes an inner shift, maybe a change in perspective, maybe a a fresh look at boundaries. But it's also really, really helpful to learn some tools, some techniques to learn to manage your anxiety and stress so you can get out of the three Ps, right? That's key. So one of the most enjoyable classes, and it's probably one of the most popular too, is is called EMAS. I teach this. It stands for Excelling in Managing Anxiety and Stress. And there's so many different techniques. I know I can be an information fire hose and I don't want to be that, but if we just get down to one or two really simple ones, the first one I teach is foundational, but it's, I guess, often overlooked and underappreciated because of its simplicity, right? It's the power of the breath. There's no equipment necessary. You bring it with you wherever you go, and you just have the ability to stop, maybe take three deep cleansing breaths, focus on the breath entering the body, Feel how it enters cool, you know, how your chest and belly expand as you inhale, then feel it leaving the body. Sometimes I tell people 
let it leave with an audible sigh, you know, like, ah, you know, as you're focusing on the breath, what are you not focusing on? You're not focusing on those anxious thoughts. You're interrupting the cycle of stress and anxiety. And that right there will help you get out of those three P's. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Linda, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Joan. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Just when you think everything is on track, life will throw you a curveball. Today's guest, Karen Lagronegro, joins us to discuss how she used a gratitude practice to battle crippling depression, grieve the loss of her mother, and navigate the unexpected diagnosis of Down syndrome for her youngest daughter. Karen is a co-owner of Irish Yoga, a yoga studio in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and Extra Lucky Moms an advocacy brand in the disability community. She is the author of the book, Ups, Downs, and Silver Linings. Welcome, Taryn. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So, Taryn, you've gone through some difficult times. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've experienced in recent years? Yeah, so um, in 2016, my mom went went and had open heart surgery, and as a result of some side effects that she had from that, she had a horrible uh, health uh, situation that went on that actually she almost lost her life to. She wound up recovering from that. And around the same time, my mother-in-law actually passed away from cancer that she had been battling for a couple of years. We kind of settled from both of those things and then found out we were expecting our fourth daughter. Um, We got a surprise diagnosis of Down syndrome when uh, I was 13 weeks pregnant. And then we also, a few weeks after that, found out that she would be born with a hole in her heart and would need heart surgery when she was very little. Then you add the pandemic. She was born two weeks after COVID shut us all down. um, And her heart surgery was in June of 2020. um, And that I had to navigate basically by myself because of all of the rules in the hospital at that time when it was so early in the pandemic. And then in um, early 2021, my mom had a recurrence of leukemia that she wound up passing away from in early April of 2021. So a lot went on, which, uh, you know, was nice to take a deep breath from after things have settled, hopefully. And and first of all, I'm sorry for your losses. Um, I, too, Thank lost you. my mom and my dad and my sister and brother. So I do understand the grief of, of that experience alone. And then to go yeah. on and have a child, you know, when you're pregnant with a with a baby, you have all of these dreams and, and hopes for that child's future. And to have someone tell you that you're going to be facing a particular challenge, you know, that must have been devastating. What was that like when you heard those words from the doctor? It was shocking. It was certainly not what we expected. Like you said, we um, you think, that, you know, you have certain expectations and certain um, hopes when you are, are expecting a child and especially having three children before her, we just kind of thought, okay, here we go again. Like, this is just going to be exactly the same. And uh, it was quite a curveball. What, you know, I have learned then is that unexpected news doesn't necessarily mean bad news. Um, In the early days, it did feel like bad news because I think you, you know, your mind does need to go through um, a little bit of grief because you have a child in your mind um, and certain things that you dreamt up about them. And you have to kind of shift that perspective. But um, I've learned so much in the couple of years since those days. And um, it's certainly not, like I said, unexpected news doesn't always translate to bad news. Right. Because I think, you know, like you were saying, when when you're expecting a baby, you think your biggest problem will be, I'm not going to get any sleep or will they eat or whatever it might be. But it's that fear of the unknown, because I'm sure you didn't know about Down syndrome and, you know, you're probably an expert in it now, but it is that fear of the unknown. So would you share some of the things that you've learned about facing these unknown challenges? The biggest thing that I've learned is 
to stay present. And especially with having a child that has different needs um, than a neurotypical child, um, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the future. And I think when we think too much, even in any situation in life, when we think too much in the future and when we project um, and, and let fear come into some, you know, into that, we're not living in the everyday moment. And with, with Raya, my daughter, it's when I, keep myself present, I'm able to enjoy her timeline of things. I'm able to enjoy the little things that we um, learn along the way with her rather than worrying about what's going to happen when she's 50 years old, for example. Taking a moment to enjoy, like I said, those little things and, and really feeling grateful for the fact that they're not guaranteed when like she just learned um, officially to walk in the last week. And she's two and a half years old with all my kids. They were walking a year and a half ago at this point, you know? So, but it's a celebration when she, you know, was officially walking was so much bigger because there was no guarantee that that came along with that. And I think a lot of it too, Taryn, is we have to let go of the supposed to be's. Like I I know I always found myself Mm -hmm. saying things like, well, they're not supposed to act that way, or that's not how it's supposed to be. And and until you can let go of those supposed to be's, and you're always going to be feeling like you're experiencing all of these shattered expectations. But when you make that shift and you focus on all of the blessings, all of the wonderful things, it really does change everything in life. Absolutely. And I think that we have to also um, sometimes take a step back and realize that nobody, nothing about anybody's life is guaranteed. Uh, you know, one thing that I struggled with early on when we got her diagnosis and finding out that she was, was a girl, um, you know, was, oh my gosh, like she probably can't become a mom or she probably won't do this or she might not do that. And I was like, I had to kind of reality check myself and say, well, wait, who's to say any of my girls are going to do that either by choice or by circumstance? Who's, you know, who's to say that they're all going to become moms or they're all going to get married or they're all going to do this and that. And What's to say that that doesn't mean that their life would be any less fulfilling? So I really had to remind myself that there's nobody's future that is guaranteed from the very beginning. And Taryn, what role did gratitude play in all of this healing in the, in the way that you were able to shift your mindset? Gratitude really lets me tune in closer to the day-to-day because, you know, my gratitude practice is really trying to focus on specific things. And sometimes those are really, really tiny things. But um, when you look for those little things to feel grateful for, even on a day where you just feel like, you know, maybe you didn't get it right, or you want to beat yourself up when you lay down, when you sit down and really say, okay, but what was what was good? And you can pull these things out. And and it leaves you with such a positive feeling to the day or even starting the day or however, you know, wherever gratitude fits into people's lives. But um, I always say when you look for things to be grateful for, you find so much more in abundance that, that comes your way to be grateful for. I remember when I was going through all of the losses that I experienced, similar to you in a very short period of time. I had decided that I was going to take a journal and every night before bed, because I wanted to have positive thoughts before I went to sleep, I was going to write down five things for which I was grateful for that day. And I remember when I Mm -hmm. started, you know, at first I was struggling, you know, what am I grateful for? And then once you start writing, something happens, you don't stop at five, you start thinking of all of these different things. And you it really for me, it made a big difference in how I was able to heal. How did you approach it? What was your practice? Yeah, so very similar. I, you know, uh, there's been all this advice out there over the years, uh, write down five things you're, you're grateful for. And when I had started, I was kind of looking at it in almost too much of an obvious way. So I felt like I obviously should put down that I'm grateful for my kids. And I'm obviously grateful that, you know, I have food on the table. Um, but I think when we let ourselves get a little bit lower in the surface is when things really start to change. So I would try to call out specific things that happened. So maybe it was a conversation that I really enjoyed having with my daughter at dinner time, or maybe it was having a, you know, a conversation with a stranger at the coffee shop that was, you know, just a pleasant, you know, very pleasant conversation. And I think being able to hone in on those little things, um, it really helps enhance 
the process because, of course, we're all grateful on paper for all of the things that are very obvious or the biggest things in our life, right? So our children, our health, our house, our, you know, all of those type of things. But when we get, like I said, on a lower level and can really tune in is when we start to feel those things as they're happening. So we, you know, we might even then know when we're having one of those really good conversations that we're going to feel grateful for and, and just start to sort of live that and exude that gratitude a little bit deeper. Karen, tell us about your book, Ups, Downs, and Silver Linings. So the book is about a, a lot of different things that happened in life. So it does start with when I went through a really debilitating depression, when I had only two children at the time. Um, and it goes all the way through my daughter's heart surgery, losing my mom. But what I did in the book is I wrote about each of those things. And then you get to see my own version of a gratitude journal at the end of each chapter. So you get to see what I was grateful for in those situations. And, you know, even a chapter like losing my mom, you'll see a list of things that I was grateful for, whether it was certain things that I felt for her and towards her, um, or whether it was the helpers around that time um, who, you know, who surrounded me and supported me during that time. Because I, you know, I hope what you see through the book is that there's positives to be found in any every situation. And there's something that you can take from a situation and grow and learn. So there are a bunch of chapters that do center around our Down syndrome diagnosis. So you'll get to see how that diagnosis is presented, um, you know, what the journey in my own mind, because like you said earlier, I, I started out knowing nothing about Down syndrome. I had never even met somebody with Down syndrome. So I had immediately made up all these stories in my head of how life was going to be. So you get to see kind of the, tra- the transition that my own mind goes in of realizing how little I knew. And then as I learned just how much I was able to see so much positive in my daughter's future and her life. And Karen, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? So I would love if everyone would head to my website, KarenLaganegro.com. There is a link to purchase the book through Amazon um, there. And then I'll continue to add on local uh, retailers and other ways that people can purchase it. Um, And you can also learn a little bit more about us and some of the work that I do uh, in my advocacy journey. Um, So yeah, KarenLaganegro.com is the best place to find all of that. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I I agree with you. I hope that our listeners can learn to see the silver linings no matter what challenging situation he or she is facing. I, I know in my own life, it has really helped me to move through some very difficult times and everything that you've shared, it's done the same for you. So thank you for being here to share such an important message with us. Thanks so much, Joan. I really appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you suffer from ingrown toenails? Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Ingrown toenails occur when the toenail starts to grow into the nail groove. This can cause significant pain and discomfort. They may become infected if left untreated. Wearing badly fitting shoes usually causes ingrown toenails. The pressure from the shoes that are too narrow at the top or too tight from the side can put extra pressure on the toenails. Other causes that include toenails that are not trimmed properly, such as cutting the toenails too short, or trauma to the feet due to activity including running. Having a family history of ingrown toenails can also increase a person's risk. There are several ways to treat and prevent ingrown toenails. Cutting the toenails straight across after a bath when the nails are soft. Avoid cutting the nails in a rounded pattern as it can increase the risk of inward growth. Wearing proper fitting shoes that do not have a pointy tip will prevent worsening of your ingrown toenail. If at-home care does not improve the condition, or if your toe becomes swollen, red, or painful, please visit a podiatrist who can provide the proper care, or even antibiotics. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. 
As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. That's CYACYL.com slash media training. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about iron deficiency anemia and the importance of knowing your risk is Dr. Neil Gokul the Medical Director of Clinical Education at Southwest Medical. Dr. Gokul is also the Associate Program Director of the Family Medicine Residency Program at Valley Health System. Welcome, Dr. Gokul. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here on behalf of Daiichi Sankyo. Doctor, everyday tasks such as doing laundry or yard work can be tiring for many, but for people with certain chronic conditions, they can sometimes be especially challenging. Iron deficiency anemia affects approximately 6.5 million Americans, including one in five women who are of childbearing age, and many don't even know they have it. So what is iron deficiency anemia, and who is most likely to be affected? As the name suggests, iron deficiency anemia is related to low levels of iron within the body. Our red blood cells are responsible for circulating oxygen from our lungs, to the rest of our cells and organs to keep ourselves healthy and active. When we become low or deficient in red blood cells, that's what leads to anemia. Individuals that are at more risk, as you mentioned before, are certainly women of childbearing age. In fact, one in five women of childbearing age will suffer from iron deficiency anemia. Also individuals with certain chronic conditions, such as heavy uterine bleeding, like heavy menstrual cycles, certain gastrointestinal conditions like inflammatory bowel disease, including Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, as well as celiac disease and non-dialysis dependent chronic kidney disease, all increase your risk of having iron deficiency anemia. Are there different stages? There's not necessarily different stages. However, different people can be impacted differently. It's important to note that there are common symptoms, as you mentioned before, such as generalized fatigue, shortness of breath with activity, paleness of skin, dizziness, or dry mouth. But many individuals can have iron deficiency anemia and not have any symptoms at all. How is iron deficiency anemia diagnosed? The only way to diagnose iron deficiency anemia or IDA is through specific blood tests ordered by your doctor. And it's important to point out that these blood tests are not a part of standard or routine screening, so are not generally included in your annual wellness or general physical exams. So it's important to have a detailed discussion with your doctor on asking about your iron levels. So this test would not be part of our usual blood work? That's correct. Normal or routine standard blood tests that are done for your annual wellness or general physical do not include testing for iron levels. What happens if we don't treat this deficiency? Going untreated, iron deficiency anemia can lead to onset or worsening of symptoms if they already exist, as well as worsening of underlying chronic conditions. So it's important to make sure certain individuals, especially those at increased risk, have a detailed discussion with their doctor. There's a great resource at imayhaveida.com to provide more detailed information, as well as the ability to take a personalized quiz that can help guide that discussion with your doctor. What is the usual treatment for this condition? There's a variety of ways of treating iron deficiency anemia, each tailored to the underlying cause of the IDA, as well as in conglomeration with any individual's existing chronic medical conditions, comorbidities, as well as other medications that an individual may be taking. What food should a person with iron deficiency anemia eat, and what should he or she avoid? That's a great question. Diet has an impact on multiple chronic medical conditions, including iron deficiency anemia. While iron-rich foods can help prevent and promote healthy iron levels, that's not always sufficient to maintain or prevent iron deficiency anemia, especially depending on the underlying cause. So it's important to have a detailed discussion with your doctor on determining if iron deficiency exists by checking your iron levels, and if so, the underlying cause and what treatment option is best for each individual. And again, imayhaveida.com is a great resource to determine if there are treatment options that are best for a certain individual. And doctor, what's the takeaway? 
I want to make sure that we understand that iron deficiency anemia is a very common condition affecting six and a half million Americans, many of whom may not have symptoms at all. So it's important to have a detailed discussion with your doctor to ask if you may be at risk or if you may have iron deficiency anemia and then determine the best treatment. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>